From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepker. Well, today we are taking a special look at next month's election for London Mayor, with only four weeks to go until polling day. Will the contest in the capital be a coronation for Sadiq Khan or a real race? And how far will it be a test for the Westminster government versus being a contest on the local issues affecting the capital? Well, meanwhile, one of the most important figures in the Johnson administration has found himself in a few difficulties today. Labour is demanding an investigation after it emerged that the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, had pushed Treasury officials to consider helping Green Silk Capital, following a request from the former Prime Minister, David Cameron. Now, Sunak told Cameron that he had asked his team to look at ways to give Greensill access to the state's pandemic corporate aid programme last year. That's according to text messages released by the government following a Freedom of Information Act. The government's also facing criticism for refusing to confirm whether foreign holidays will be permitted from the 17th of May. Now, that's prompted calls for greater clarity from the airline and travel industries. Concerns have also been raised about the added costs of coronavirus tests for holidaymakers. Luke Petherbridge is from ABTA, which represents travel agents. We know that the, the cost of testing is a significant barrier for many people when they are looking to make their plans to travel this summer. Uh, and we believe the government's public health objectives can be delivered using rapid testing. Uh, and we, we hope the government will engage with the industry around that. So that's ABTA. And now, according to the Department for Transport, different COVID testing and quarantine regimes will be compulsory according to whether a destination is rated as green, amber or red under a new traffic light travel system. But the government says that it is still too early to say which countries will fall into which categories. Well, now let's get to the subject of this week's special. It's a month before Londoners get to vote on who's going to be the new mayor. Metro mayors in the West Midlands and Greater Manchester are also up for election. The power and influence wielded by these mayors has come under greater scrutiny during the virus crisis. Sadiq Khan, for example, has clashed with Boris Johnson on the tier structure for COVID restrictions and indeed whether he was going to be invited to Cobra crisis room meetings. So where does the mayor of London fit in all of this? What does he do? What are his powers and the responsibilities of the role? Joining us now is Richard Brown, who is the interim director at the Centre for London. Richard, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. To delve into just how powerful the figure of the mayor of London is, in your view. 
And the formal powers of the job are quite strong in a few areas, but they are only in a few areas. Like he has, um, he or she, but it's been he so far, has control of London's transport system. Um, TfL is one of the biggest transport authorities in, in the world, big city transport authority. Um, he has significant influence over planning in the city um, and what gets built where. And he has some influence over policing and fire, though in policing there's a degree of uh, operational independence that the police have. Um, but I think where the mayor possibly has, and most mayors have argued strongly for more powers, and the UK is still quite a centralised country, but I think the mayor also has a very powerful voice. Um, he has a, a, an electorate of around 5 million people. That's one of the largest in the world. He can speak for that, for that city. And I think that's where some of the um, clashes that you talked about have come over the past few months. The mayor feels that he does represent this huge city, this city of uh, 9 million people, and he deserves to have a voice at those big government discussions. Um, but government has on occasion been resisting that. So the mayor has significant powers, but he also has a much stronger voice. And I think all three mayors to date have really um, used that voice. Now, it's interesting you mentioned about them pushing for greater powers, Richard, and clearly they are. I mean, just take one example. Uh, last week, uh, or earlier this week, I think, uh, Sadiq Khan has been talking about setting up uh, some kind of commission into the legalisation of cannabis, for example. I mean, <clears throat> all very well to talk about that, but that's not in his remit, is it? It's not in his remit to um, legalise cannabis that would require legislation. I suppose what he could do, and this is quite uh, this is at the margins probably, is give a steer to the police as to what um, offences they ought to prioritise and deprioritise. Um, I mean, you've had uh, um, borough commanders taking individual decisions about uh, relaxing enforcement of laws on cannabis in the past. So the mayor could set strong signals, but ultimately the law would, have, the law would still be that cannabis is illegal and that would have to be changed at Westminster. Hmm. Yeah, OK, interesting. And, and of course, um, in, in terms of the role... Um, how has the role actually developed? Because, of course, we've seen Sadiq Khan and, and the current Prime Minister was obviously Mayor of London. Mm. We know that. And before that, Ken Livingstone. How do you think that the role has developed then in, in recent years in London? Well, is it, is it, it's, it's its 21st birthday this year. May will, uh, May will be the 21st birthday of the, mayor, of the mayoralty. And when it was set up um, in the late 90s when the Blair government came in, London had been without a strategic authority for um, about 13, 14 years. And I think this was telling people, noticing that the lack of coordination of transport services, the lack of a big voice to speak for the city, was a challenge. But the Blair government didn't want to give the Mayor of London too much power, didn't want to encroach on what London's 33 boroughs do. Um, so it was quite selective about what the role should be. Now, actually, over the period since then... Um, you know, the mayor started with powers over transport, policing, economic development, planning. Um, and those have gradually been increased. The planning powers were strengthened in 2007. Um, the mayor was given more housing power in 2007 and 2011. And also greater policing power around the same time. So gradually within those areas, those powers have increased. Not much has happened in the past seven or eight years, though. Um, the, the process of devolution seems to have ground to a bit of a halt. And though both Boris Johnson and Sadiq Khan have made a case, particularly for the mayor to have more tax-raising powers, um, so that he could have greater control of property taxes locally, um, despite that, that case being made by the current prime minister when he was mayor and by the, his successor, um, further devolution has really seems to have stalled in London. We're all hopeful there will be a devolution white paper. It was promised last year. It's now promised sometime this year. So that may be an opportunity to 
devolve more. But the tone of this government uh, and the tone of the of the Theresa May government isn't really one that's strongly about devolving more power to um, London and other cities at the moment. Now, Richard, you made the point in in your opening remarks about uh, the significance, perhaps beyond the the, the legal powers, that the, the fact that this man or woman uh, has a huge mandate makes a difference. And it seems to me that that has been enhanced during the pandemic, because uh, in a way, as localization of powers has been a thing right across the country, of course. But it seems in London, uh, the stature, perhaps, of the mayor as a spokesperson in a crisis has has increased. Do you think so? I think it has to to a point. I mean, it's been. I mean, Sadiq Khan has had a more uh, challenging relationship with government than either of his predecessors had. Um, for most of the time, um, Ken Livingstone was working with the Labour government, um, where he was for all the time. Uh, Boris Johnson was only working with a Labour government for two years. So Sadiq Khan's had a challenge. He's had a challenge of representing the city during Brexit um, of and, and now representing the city during a pandemic. So it has been a more confrontational relationship with this government, and I think he has built, built his profile. Um and the the other mayor, uh, Andy Burnham in Manchester, has done similarly. I think those two, as, as, as uh, city leaders, um, Andy Burnham and Sadiq Khan, have both built their profile during this period. Mm. Um, the challenge, I guess, is negotiating the long-term support that London needs uh, from a government who, um, has, uh, with whom relationships have been difficult. And London needs a lot, particularly in terms of keeping the transport system going in coming years as we recover from coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the travails of TfL uh, are perhaps going to be one of the biggest challenges for whoever comes into City Hall this time round. How party political, though, do you think this role is? Because looking at the field this year, I mean, more candidates than ever, more than 20. So how party political is it? That's a, a really good um, That's a really good question, Caroline. I mean, one of the things that um, I think Tony Blair hoped for um, when he set the office up in the first place was that it would attract Non, non-party political figures. Um, names like Richard Branson are often uh, banded around. Now, as it was, the first mayoral election was uh, won by an independent. Ken Livingston ran as an independent. But I don't think he was the independent that Tony Blair envisaged becoming mayor of London. But I think there is a sense in which, um, you know, all three mayors um, have pursued similar, similar policy programmes. Um, they've all welcomed growth into the city. They've sought to achieve environmental and social objectives through that. Um, they've sought to keep the city running effectively as a big global city. So there is an element of this which is beyond party politics. Um, that said, whenever you hit an election, um, mm. you do have to start seeing where the, the party political agendas are laid yeah. out. And we've seen that Sean Bailey is pushing um, an agenda which is much more about um, less restrictions on car drivers um, and less building in the suburbs um, and also attacking um, Sadiq Khan in terms of his record on crime and violence. Yeah. So you start seeing the fractures opening up at election time, but actually generally the direction the three mayors have steered London in has been quite consistent. And briefly, if you were, because we're running out of time, uh, what about London as an assembly? Does it work as a sufficient break on, on the mayor, or is he more of a, a leader without breaks? I think the assembly was always expected to be quite a light-touch light break. Um, uh, more to stop the mayor going completely off the rails rather than second-guess his policies every day. Um, as such, I think it's done a reasonable job. Um, I think a lot of people would question whether it needs to be done by the London Assembly as a separately elected body or whether perhaps it could be done by London's local borough leaders. But there does need to be some check on London. I think the Assembly has um, proven to be reasonably effective in doing that, but it's not a prominent role in the way that the mayor's role is and was never intended to be. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, shortly, we're going to be speaking to one of the candidates for London Mayor, Mandu Reid, who heads up the Women's Equality Party as part of our special today on the London mayoral elections. The field is this year particularly busy with 20 candidates in the running. We've already heard from some of the major parties, including Labour's candidate and current mayor, Sadiq Khan, who is focusing on a sustainable reopening of London following the pandemic. The election on May the 6th for the Mayor of London is an important one because uh, our global city has been struggling, like many other global cities, because of this uh, pandemic. There have been more than 300,000 Londoners who've lost their jobs, and there are currently just over a million Londoners who are furloughed. So I've launched a manifesto committed not just to protect the jobs we have, not just to support job creation, but to help those who've lost their jobs get back into work. And the way to do that is by having a green recovery. And we can put aside the petty political knockabout stuff from Boris Johnson, and I'm keen to focus instead on a Green New Deal recovery for our city. So Sadiq Khan, the candidate for London Mayor, speaking to Bloomberg. Meanwhile, the Conservative candidate, Sean Bailey, has been addressing knife crime and violence against women. We need an entirely fresh approach to crime, a fresh start. And there's three ends of this argument. Firstly, is the policing end. That's why you hear me talking about 8,000 extra police officers on the streets of London. We, we doubled the amount of transport network police. We put CCTV cameras on every bus stop. We, we put 500 extra officers into the safeguarding unit, which looks at the issues around rape, attack, um, domestic violence, issues facing women and girls largely. And we, give, and we do that in order for them to do the preemptive work as well, not just the reactive work. At the yeah. other end of the, of the equation, we also make sure that we give poor communities the, the support they need. So I'll be building a second chance fund. So those young people who go in and out of jail, we intervene at that teachable moment and give them the support they need to move into the job market, not just the warehouse them in jails. And that was, of course, Sean Bailey, who is the Conservative candidate for mayor. We've also heard from the Liberal Democrats candidate, Louisa Porritt. Now, she has a three-point manifesto focusing on clean air, jobs and housing. The current mayor of London has not delivered the affordable housing that he promised. So um, my campaign is about embracing the changes that have been brought about by the pandemic, obviously not the negative ones, but seeing um, the opportunities in the trend of homeworking, for example. So because lots of people are going to be working from home or at least part working from home, part working from the office in future, we're going to have empty office space in the centre of London. And I think that's a real once-in-a-generation opportunity to finally tackle our housing crisis by building homes in the heart of the city, converting that unused space into quality, affordable, zero-carbon homes. 
So Louisa Porritt there, the Liberal Democrats candidate for Mayor of London. So a little roundup of uh, some of the candidates that we have spoken to so far. Our next guest, though, is calling for greater equality in the capital, not least uh, that the first female Mayor of London uh, should be voted in. Joining us now is Mandu Reid, who is leader of the Women's Equality Party. Mandu, welcome to the programme. Uh, so you've heard from some of the candidates we've interviewed. Give us your pitch to voters in London. I want our city to be a place where everyone can take safety and freedom for granted, where everyone, men and women, can strive and fulfill their potential. So there's kind of like two points of strong focus for me. I would make ending violence against women and girls a top political priority, and I will push for a care-led recovery for our city from COVID. Those are the headlines, because we must build back equal. Building back better is just not enough in the context of such a devastating crisis. Well, Mandu, I mean, by definition, of course, uh, your, your party has a narrow focus. You just laid out the issues there. Very important. But, of course, the mayor needs to solve a lot of other pressing issues right across the board. I mean, reopening uh, post-COVID, sorting out jobs, housing, transport. Just give us a sense of what you do on those issues. Well, I actually dispute the idea that we have a narrow focus because men and women exist in this city and operate and take part in and rely on housing services, transport services, etc. So any facet of what it takes to keep a city running has a gender dimension to it. And we know that this crisis has actually disproportionately impacted women. So we cannot ignore that issue. We really want our city to recover. But when it comes to housing, I mean, we all know that London's housing ecosystem is in crisis. Um, We all know that rents and property prices are extortionate. We all know that women earn less than men and so struggle, have greater barriers to, to, to getting onto the property market, to having stable, safe accommodation. And so that means we have to have a ruthless focus on social homes. And at the very least, we've got to maintain the levels that were built through the current plan. And we've got to acknowledge the fact that women are way more likely to be statutory homeless than men. And so have a targeted approach that starts to put that inequality right in our city. Because if we ignore Mm. those dimensions, we'll just end up on a trajectory towards widening inequality, which will undermine our recovery um, from the COVID crisis. And nobody wants that. Okay, I mean, but I'm hearing that you're looking at these major issues very much through a female-focused lens here. I mean, if I were a male voter, how would I think about putting, you know, checking the box in favour of the Women's Equality Party? You see, what what I'm actually calling for when I talk about a care-led recovery is something that will boost the prosperity of the city as a whole. Um, City Hall's figures tell us that women will account for 60% of pandemic-related job losses. And so you'll have all these women who are outside of the labour market, not paying taxes, contributing to the prosperity of the city, um, potentially being on benefits. And that does a disservice to all of us. And it's not just me who's, who's behind the ideas of a care-led recovery. We had Joe Biden yesterday. He's a man standing up and saying these things need to be taken more seriously when we look at how to get the economy to bounce back from this issue. You've got very learned people like Linda McGates calling Linda uh, Melinda Gates calling for some of the same things I'm calling for in my manifesto. But I want to see a deputy mayor for care to spearhead a care revolution in our city, which will mean the greatest proportion of people are able to get back to work. London had 
the lowest rate of maternal employment in our city uh, prior to COVID. Those will have gotten significantly worse. So mm-hmm. let's get those women back into the workforce so that the city as a whole can benefit. Men will benefit from this as much as women. We've oh. got to start thinking about things in terms of how we all are dependent on one another. Oh, okay, Maddie, let me focus on something which I know you're greatly concerned about, and I think perhaps has focused the minds of Londoners on uh, the situation for women more than it has perhaps for many years, which is, of course, the yeah. murder of Sarah Everard and then the heavy-handed, let's call it that, policing of the vigil on Clapham Common yeah. last month. Uh, you've been highly critical, of course, about it. I mean, first of all, clear question. The Lib Dems called for the removal of Cressida Dick. Uh, Sadiq Khan certainly questioned what went on. Would you want Cressida Dick removed uh, as in the charge of the Met? I think um, President Dick has some serious questions to answer, but actually we need to look more broadly. I personally think we need to have a rapid review of institutional sexism and misogyny within the Met. There are so many canaries in the coal mine, as it were, point to this being a serious issue. Nearly 600 allegations of sexual misconduct have been made against Met police officers in the last six years. That's over Sadiq Khan's term, by the way. Can you imagine another employer where that would happen? and a systemic review wouldn't take place. Can you imagine another employer where, and a fifth of those cases, by the way, were upheld, where we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, nothing to see here. It's not good enough, especially because we rely on these police officers to keep us safe. We Mm. also need to change how policing is out. We need a specialist police squad in London, not more bobbies on the beat. Bobbies on the beat has been proposed since time memorial, mayor after mayor kind of, you know, blows that horn, and it has done nothing to address male violence against women and girls in our city. We uh, have okay. more rapes in the... Yeah, so we so need to be really So then how do you really deal with focused. that, though, on a practical level? I mean, mm. um, yes, some of these figures are shocking and eye-watering, and yet, you know, how does one end that? You've talked about ending violence against women, not just managing it. That's, that Absolutely. was a quote that you gave out to one Absolutely. newspaper. What does that mean practically for the Met, for Londoners who might vote for you? Well, what it means is that you have to look beyond policing. Policing is just part of the equation. And so I'm proposing that we create a new dedicated deputy mayor so you have leadership and accountability and can start to design the holistic strategies that taken together, you deal with education. The mayor has some leverage and some influence over education in the city. He has his healthy schools program. Why doesn't he incorporate Um, you know, information um, on that from primary school right up to secondary school that will help incubate our kids in a healthier sense of consent and means to look out for one another, as well as public realm interventions and changes alongside the stuff I've already mentioned about what we need to do with the police. Mandu, briefly, because we are getting close to the end of the programme, but I want to get your views on this. Discrimination goes in lots of areas, of course, not just uh, sex discrimination. We've had a racism report uh, the government's brought out, a lot of criticism for that. What will be your view on on trying to fight racism in the capital? I mean, I really think we have to resist with all our might the narrative contained within that um, report, which effectively denies the existence of institutional... uh, Um, racism um, as a thing in in 21st century Britain. And I think it takes, you know, remembering what we found when the McPherson Review did a review, for example, of the Met Police after Stephen Lawrence's death and found so many data points, so many trends and patterns that, that demonstrate that this is an issue. Those problems haven't magically gone away. And we've got to work together to challenge that narrative because that narrative is there to distract us 
from a problem that holds so many uh, people in our capital back. Why are black men 19 times more likely to be stopped and searched? If we haven't got an explanation for that, then don't tell me that um, institutional uh, racism is a thing of the past. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.